Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Well, I'm excited that you're here today. Thank you for being here. It's good to see you. We started a series three weeks ago that we're calling Help Wanted, and we'll jump into that here in just a moment. But there's a couple of things I want to mention before we do that. One is this past Friday night was our date night. Those of us that were here had an awesome time getting to fellowship with other married and engaged couples, getting to spend time with our, our spouse as well, having a great teaching, trying to build relationships, strengthen families. So if you were here with us, thank you so much for taking time to do that. If you weren't, you missed out. Don't miss the next one. It was a great time. I want to thank Pastor Jonathan and Pastor Christina for working hard to make that a reality. They did a great job putting that event together. This past Wednesday was our everyone night, and we had 24 people that were baptized in water, which is great. So a lot of exciting things going on. You know, we actually have a goal as a church this year to see 150 people baptized in water. So we're, we're 24 into that goal. Just to give you a frame of reference, last year we baptized 70 people in water. So we want to more than double that this year. That's a goal. That's something that we are working towards as a church family. Now, one way we could accomplish that goal is just if 150 of us decide to go ahead and get baptized in water again, but that's not what we're trying to do, right? We're, we're, we're setting that goal because we want to continue to see people find newness of life that's found only in Jesus Christ. And we want to do a good job giving people clear next steps. We want to see people not just make a decision, but get their roots down deep and, and go on to maturity. So we're trying to set up good paths for them to follow in discipleship. So that's something that we're, we're working towards. You can help us work towards it, be believing with us. If you've recently gotten saved and you've never been baptized in water, we're going to be intentional about giving you more opportunities than we ever have before uh, when we do water baptism. So that's something to be excited about. Amen. Something else to be excited about is if you used our shuttle parking today, someone is up there right now putting gift cards on your, your windshield, just a way to say thank you for being willing to use our shuttle parking. That's a way that you can help serve the church. We want to give the, the best spaces to people that maybe are new to our church, our, our guests. So if it's not a big deal, if you're willing to ride the shuttle, that would be an enormous help to us. And so we're going to do that from time to time just to say thank you. It's happening today. It'll happen again on a Sunday this month. I won't tell you when. Just going to have to make use of the shuttle parking, and maybe you'll get a gift card. Unless the first person up there just steals them all off the windshields, and then... Well, three weeks ago, we started a, a series. I guess I hadn't thought that through. Uh, started a series on... Uh, <laughs> We're calling Help Wanted, and we're playing off of the passage at the end of Matthew chapter 9, where Jesus says that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So he asked his disciples to pray to the Lord of the harvest that there would be workers, that people would go out and bring in this harvest. That wasn't just an isolated moment in time. That is, that's still the case that we're living in. I shared a statistic with you earlier in this series that in the modern church, more than 80% of believers have never led one person to the Lord. The, the laborers are, we're still lacking people that are willing to go and tell others the good news about Jesus. So we're, we're taking time in this series to talk about the need for that, finding people that are willing to answer that call, stirring up a heart of evangelism. And we start off saying that this series is unlike other series because this topic is unlike other topics. As we talk about evangelism, as we talk about people coming to know Jesus, we're talking about what is number one in the heart of the Father. We're talking about God's number one priority. We've looked at different passages of scripture. That's what we took time the first week to, to focus on. It's God's number one priority. The reason that the father sent his son to earth. 
Lots of different benefits that we can receive from that. But his number one reason had to do with where people are going to spend eternity. God wants people not in hell. He wants them with him for all of eternity. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus said himself, Luke chapter 19, the son of man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. We talked about why Jesus has not yet returned because he promised to come back and he's coming back soon. But the Bible tells us the reason he hasn't yet returned is he's giving us time. He does doesn't want anyone to perish. I mean, spend eternity in hell. He doesn't want that to happen to anyone. He wants everyone to come to repentance. So that's why he is giving us, that's why he is giving us time. Then last week we talked about if it's God's number one priority, then as followers of Jesus, it should be, should be our number one priority, right? That should be what we are focused on more than anything else. It should be the number one priority of a believer. We talked about how the call to follow Jesus is not a different call than the one to be a fisher of men. It's one and the same. When Jesus called Peter and the other fishermen, he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. We looked at a number of different passages where those two things are one and the same. So we can't say, all right, I'll follow you. I, yes, I want to be saved. I'm not really interested in like the, the evangelism part. Well, it's one and the same. When you signed up for salvation, you signed up to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ as well. We looked at it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where it tells us that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. Old things passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But that same passage continues to tell us that we have been made ambassadors, representatives of the kingdom of heaven, that we, are, we have been given the ministry of reconciliation, the word of reconciliation. It's been entrusted to us that God wants to cry out, to plead through our lives, through us. I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we could be the righteousness of God. That's, that's the message that we're supposed to declare. And we've been given that word. We're responsible for what we do with it. And it's a responsibility that we've got to take seriously. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Let me, let me read to you just really quickly from Ezekiel chapter 33. Starting in verse seven, it says, Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. This is what God is saying to Ezekiel, but you can see a parallel. We'll, we'll read the rest of this passage. But when God gives somebody a message to declare, it says, Here's, I, I want you to go and tell people this, like the Great Commission go and declare the gospel, go and make disciples of all nations, that there is a high level of responsibility and accountability for what we do with that message. It's not just, ah, it feels good to, to receive the message. It does. But I've also got to be faithful with the message. Listen to what it says. It says, therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. Verse eight, if I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if you warn them to repent and they don't repent, they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. There's a high level of responsibility when we've been entrusted. We are ambassadors we are representatives of Jesus, and we've got to take it seriously. You know, as you read through the Bible, there are a lot of different people who were given an assignment, given responsibility by God, and felt very inadequate, felt overwhelmed, intimidated by the assignment. People that God instructed to do something and they looked at themselves and disqualified themselves or began to almost build a, a negative resume of why I am not the man for the job, why you, you've got the wrong person, I'm not able to do this. Moses said, yeah, I can't go to Pharaoh. I, I'm not good at talking. I'm slow of speech. I, I stutter. So he was given that excuse. I'm not the right guy for the job. That, that's consistent. You see that happen a lot. Jeremiah was too young. Isaiah said, I'm a man of unclean lips. Listen, I've got, I've got a history. I'm not sure if you want me representing you. There's some things I've done that I'm not proud of. So if you feel inadequate, overwhelmed, how am I going to win anyone to the Lord? You are in good company. You're in good company. But listen, listen, to remain in good company, to remain in good company, you have to get over whatever insecurities you have and whatever excuses and however you've disqualified yourself, you've got to get over that and be, be willing to just carry out the assignment that God has given you. We talked about that last week. We looked at a verse that said, be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. 
We talked about being ready, being prepared, having it thought through, having a strategy. What a great example in that testimony video. It did exactly some of the things that we said to build common ground, to develop interest. Don't look for where you're where you differ on different subjects, find some common ground and build there. Use relationship evangelism. That's exactly what Shane did. So they, they had some common interests. They golfed together. Apparently they like blooming onions and Australian cuisine. And so they, they spent an evening at Outback together. But it was, it was, he, was, he was doing that. He was intentional about it. He had a plan. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to build common interests. I'm going to let this person know I care about them, that I love them. They, they built a friendship. And then he was strategic. He arranged the whole evening. Adam didn't know what he was in for. I'm going to share my testimony. We talked about sharing our testimony, just talking about the goodness of God. It's the goodness of God that draws men to repentance. He even said that if, if, if God did that in his life, why couldn't he do it in my life? He, 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 was, he heard about how good God is and it stirred up a hunger and a desire in him. And now he's got a, a testimony and testimony spinning off of his testimony. What was put into motion by one person willing to be a, a laborer. That's how God wants to use all of us. So we talked about it's God's number one priority. It needs to be the individual, the believer's number one priority. I want to take a few minutes today and talk about how it needs to be the church, the church's number one priority. The church at large, but we're responsible for this church, our church, this family, as we work together as a body of believers, that that needs to be our number one, our number one priority. Before we jump into that, would you pray with me? Father, I love you. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your presence. Father, I thank you for that testimony that we got to hear, the encouragement, the challenge. And Lord, we invite you to come and speak to our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, come and speak and minister in the way that only you can. Bring revelation and understanding. Flood our hearts with light, Lord, that we could know you more. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you heard the story uh, about a small town not too long ago that had this infestation of squirrels. I don't know if it's a breeding season of squirrels hit just right or if they moved in from another region or, or how it happened, but there was a real problem with squirrels in this little town. They were just like taking over, infested the place, and several of the buildings in town were particularly affected by, by the squirrels. One was the town hall Another one was a little hardware store in town and one was a church. And so the, the people that were working in those buildings, they were trying to strategize how they're going to deal with this problem. The squirrels were causing a lot of issues. And so they kind of came up with their own individual plans of how they're going to solve this problem. The people at the town hall, how they decided to handle it was, let's, let's get some cats and we'll just kind of have some uh, adopted pets in our building and that'll, they can kind of catch the squirrels or chase the squirrels or deter the squirrels somehow, which I don't know how you feel about cats, but if you're like me, that's, that's a step in the wrong direction. <laughs> I, I would take squirrels. Give me the squirrels. That's a, you've just created a greater problem. And that's actually what they, they discovered. So they got the cats and it started to work, started to see a decrease in the numbers and the cats dropping dead squirrels on people's desks and the smell of the cats and the, the I don't feel bad at all. Cat, cat hair, litter box, all the stuff that goes on, people's allergies, the cats where they should be out chasing squirrels or napping in the sun. And so enough was enough and the, they were causing problems. So they said, we've got to get rid of these cats. So it worked for a little while, but then the cats had to go. And wouldn't you know it, the squirrels, they were right back where they started. The hardware store decided to take a little bit different approach, a more humane approach. And they thought, well, we'll just, we'll capture the squirrels. We'll use some box traps, some live traps. We'll capture them and then we'll take them out to the edge of town or down the road to the park and we'll just release them and it'll be more humane. So that's what they were doing for a while, but the squirrels were just finding their way right, right back in. And so that, that wasn't a good solution. The church, the church was really the only ones that were able to find a, a good solution. And the way that the church handled it was they decided that they would take the squirrels and they would, they would baptize them and they would put them through a series of classes and receive them as members. And then they only had to worry about the squirrels showing up on Christmas and Easter. And the, and the rest of the year, it was pretty, it was really basically squirrel, squirrel free for the, for the church. (laughs) 
We live in a time where in large part, people take their association with the church very lightly. In fact, it's, it's just that for a lot of people. It's, it's an association. It's people that I'm kind of linked up with. It's a nice place to make friends and, you know, community involvement in those types of things. Some people consider themselves as belonging to a church when they've never even gone to that church in months or even years. You could ask them what church they belong to and they'll, they'll tell you the name of a church even though they, they couldn't even tell you the last time they were there. People slip in and slip out with really little to no involvement or they drift around from one church to another and just kind of work a regular cycle depending on what church is the most popular or trendy at that, at that time and just kind of travel in packs from one church to another. That's not the way that God intended the church to function. The church is not supposed to be just a community association. Do you know that the, the church is special? It's unique. It's God's plan of reaching people on earth. We are literally the body of Jesus. Jesus Christ here on the earth, the hands and the feet. We're the body of Jesus active in the world today. That, that's you and I. We are the church of Jesus Christ, and it's important for us to understand it. It's not a club we belong to. It's who we are, a unique environment when we join together, where we link up together, we become f functional parts of the body of Christ. That requires commitment and involvement and not some loose association. That When, when you've got a member of your body that's disengaged, or not committed or not responsive or not doing anything, in the natural, that would create an enormous issue. You'd be in the emergency room if half of your body just stopped functioning or disengaged from the rest of your body. It causes problems in the body of Christ as well. We're not able to do and function the way that God intended us to when some of the members aren't playing their roles as they've been called to. That the, the body of Christ, the church, we're supposed to be a family. We are the family of God, brothers and sisters linked together. We're the family of God. That's not an analogy. It's a reality. The same thing flowing on the inside of us. We've been all ransomed and redeemed by the same blood of Jesus, adopted into the same. We're the family of God. But in any family, if you function where you're uninvolved, uncommitted, it's just a matter of what's, what's convenient for you. If I function as a dad, as a husband, as a brother, as a son, interacted with my family, just what, what's convenient for me? When I, there was something I could get out of it, just show up here and there and say, hey, you know, I've got a life outside of my family. I mean, what do you expect of me? They couldn't count on me for anything. I was unreliable. I just sort of popped in here and there. If you heard that that's the way I was functioning in my family, you'd say that that is a poor family member, a lousy family. What, what a deadbeat husband, dad, fill in the blank, son, brother, he is not a good family member. But that's, that's the way people function in the body of Christ, by and large. They just take that, that association so flippantly and so lightly and don't realize, listen, I am a family member. How would a good family, your family at home would fall apart if you function like that. What, what greater commitment should we have when we're a member of the family of God? God wants the church to function with commitment, with reliable people engaged, understanding the privilege of being in the body of Christ and the responsibility. This is a unique environment. This is special. This is why we quote every week from Psalm 92 that those who are planted in the house of God flourish in the courts of God. It's a unique environment where the believers come together, that we're the temple of the Holy Spirit individually. But Paul also said collectively, when you come together, living stones coming together, but we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, an environment that we can bring people into that's unlike any other environment on the face of the earth. You heard it in that testimony, that someone's life was changed by, by a testimony, by declaring the goodness of God, and then what? Leveraging, he was a part of a family. He was a part of a body. It wasn't all on him. Would you join me? Would you come to church? Put him in an environment where he could see people worshiping the Lord encounter the presence of God, the word of God, seeing other people love Jesus and love his word, his life was changed. So there's different ways that the church can function. You can function as a church, and some, some do. When you've got someone like me, you've got a pastor, and sometimes you've got some staff around that pastor, and the way they function is primarily just trying to keep the church people happy. Just trying to appease the church people. Trying to a lot of their time is focused on just trying to get these so-called Christians 
just trying to get them to actually come to church, just trying to get them to attend. And if you can just get your church people to actually come to church, that, that's the focus and that's, that's the big win. And you've got church people, church members who feel like they're doing something really special just by showing up every other week or once a month or whenever they've cleared their schedule enough to actually show up. And so when they come to church, they feel like they've done, they've given God a real treat just by coming through the doors and here they are. And that's the way a lot of churches, this is not some far out thing. This is the way a lot of churches function. The people, are, they, they go to church and it's just, they show up from time to time just to, you know, make an appearance and show that they're, they are good people and they're out, you know, upstanding community members and the, the pastor and the staff, that's what they're focused on. Just trying to try to convince people to, to show up. Again, that's not the way God wants things to function. Another option is, have a group of people that genuinely love Jesus and they understand how they've been rescued, how they've been redeemed. They're thankful. They want to honor him. They're like-minded. They're united. They're passionate about advancing the kingdom of God. They realize that the church is the called out ones. We've been called out from the world, that this world is not our home, that we're only here for a brief moment of time and we're on assignment while we're here. We've got an opportunity that sooner, sooner rather and later will forever be lost that opportunity to advance God's kingdom and win the loss. So we unite together. We realize that I'm a part of the body and I've been gifted and I have a role to play. People that come together, not looking just to consume, but to contribute, not looking to fault find and to pick apart and to be offended, but to say, I want, I want to help build this thing. I want to see the name of Jesus lifted up. That, that, what, which option would be better to you? Which option do you think would be a better church to belong to? And more importantly, what one do you think God had in his heart and his mind where he, when he instituted the church? What was in his heart when God created the church? How do you think he wants it to function? And if you had 200 people just like you making up a church, which one of those churches would it be like? It's serious for us to not take lightly our involvement in the body of Christ. Jesus said, I will build my church. I will build my church in the gates of hell. The powers of hell will not prevail against. There's so much we can pull out of what Jesus said. I will build my church. Jesus takes it personally. This is his church. It's not my church. It's not your church. We are, we are the bride of Jesus Christ, bought by the blood of Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. And he said, I will build my church church. You can feel how you want about church growth and people trying to build and being aggressive and trying to advance the church. It's, it's, it's not your church. It's his church. And Jesus wants the church to be built. He's, he wants it to grow. We are the bride of Christ. And he said, I'm going to build it. I'm going to build it. He's coming back for his bride. And apparently he doesn't want some anorexic looking, thin, pale, weak, so he said, I'm going to build that church. I'm going to build my bride. Jesus likes a woman with a little meat on her bones. That's what it says. Sort of. <laughs> sort of. He said, I'm going to, I'll, I'll build my church. I will build my church. Jesus wants to build. He wants the church built. Now imagine, imagine a scenario where you show up to a construction site. And there's the foreman, the guy running the show. And you can tell he wants to build this building, whatever it is. He's excited about it. He's got the plans, architect drawings, and he's got them all scrolled up under his arm. He's excited about it. He's got a bunch of employees on the job site. And as you kind of observe things, you notice all the employees are just sitting around. They're not, they're not doing anything. And when they do speak up, they're saying things like, uh, boss, I'm really thirsty. Could I, can I get a drink of water? They're just asking the boss to do stuff for them all the time. Hey, when you're getting him water, would you get my phone charger? I left it in my truck. Would you get me a cup of coffee? That's what they're saying to the, to the boss. And when they talk about the job, what they're supposed to be doing, they just talk about how hard it is, how difficult it is. It's going to be so hard. Look at the challenges we're up against. How can you build something like this? Some of them are even complaining that he wants it built in the first place. Why, why do you need a building anyway? I mean, can't we just enjoy this open, open piece of, of ground? Now, if the, that foreman, that boss, if he were to pull you aside and say, what, you see this situation, what should I do? How would you advise him? What would you say to him? You'd probably say something like, Man, you, 
fire these bozos. I don't know what you do. Why, why are you have these people employed? They're not doing anything you, you want. You want this thing built and they're not doing anything about it. Now, Jesus wants to build the church. That's in his heart. I will build my church. That's the desire of Jesus. And those of us who've come to serve him and accepted him as savior, he is our master. He's our, our Lord. He's the king, right? So if he's the master and we are the servants and he wants the church built, then a good servant would busy themselves, concern themselves with how can I play a role? What can I do to carry out the desires of the master? Not just sit back and complain about it or just uh, find fault or just uh, uh, be absorbed in what I want from the master. No, what can I do to be a blessing to him? For all that he's done for me, how can I serve him and carry out, carry out his interests? Now we, we have an amazing church. And when I say that, I'm talking about you. We've got some of our best people. So we've got people that serve. We've got people that are actively advancing the kingdom of God. So we've got a good thing going. But we can do better. We, we can increase. We can continue. We don't want to plateau. We don't want to look around and pat ourselves on the back. There's still some people that need to find a place to serve. There's still some people that need to, and, and I know some of this is just maturity, right? Some of this is just the process of us growing in the Lord and coming to maturity. So I understand that, but it's good to talk about maturing. It's good to cast that vision. That's the, go that's the goal. That's where we want to move towards. So we, we're doing great We've got some amazing people that serve with excellence, but we've got room to grow. We can get, we can get better. We can move forward. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. It says, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Man, this is such a good passage of scripture and it's unique because it gives us instruction but then it also adds uh, an emphasis that you don't usually see with instruction that's given. Don't neglect or don't forsake the gathering your, yourselves together. He, he's talking about church. He's talking about what's happening right now. We've gathered ourselves together. So when we leave here and we go our separate ways, we are the church, but it's important for us to come together and create this unique environment as a family. So that, that was always true. He's writing this 2,000 years ago and says, don't neglect. But then he adds, and especially, which you don't see with other commands. When we're told not to, not to cheat on our spouse, it's, it's just all the time, right? There's no, there's no especially. It's just, just don't do it ever. When it says not to lie, there's, there's no, it's just across the board. Just, just don't do it. There's no emphasis, especially. But with this command, there's an added emphasis that it, it intensifies somehow. It becomes increasingly important. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together, especially. Now, when we see that, we should pay attention, especially when we notice that we're living in the time period that he's calling out. He says, as you see the day of his return drawing near. We live in a time where more than ever before, you can see the return of Jesus drawing near. Now, people have always been living, saying he's coming back soon, and rightly so. We're supposed to live ready for his return. But you can see the day of his returning drawing close like never before. When you talk about the mark of the beast that it mentions in Revelation and having to have a mark on your hand to buy or sell, that sounded like crazy talk not too long ago. But now you can see plans in place. It's just a few decisions away from being a reality. You can see that day is drawing near. So we, we are the group of people People that fall into that especially category. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together. Now there's two reasons that's important. One is for our own benefit. You and I need to be planted in the house of God. We need believers. We need the family of God. Iron sharpens iron. We need to encourage each other, hold each other accountable. We need to grow together as men and women of God. That's one reason for our own benefit. But there's another reason and we know from other passages we've looked at in this series, the, the delay of his return has to do with giving time for people to come to know him. So when he says, especially, you guys need, don't forsake, keep yourselves together, especially as you're getting close to his return. He's concerned with people coming to know him. And that it's about what you and I can do together that we can't do on our own. Don't forsake the gathering of yourselves together because you need to come together and accomplish the, the impact you can make as a group, as a family, as a united front. You can't make on your own. So with time winding down, you need to be gathered together and working together. We can do more together than we can apart. 
We can make more impact functioning as a church body than we can just as a bunch of individuals. When we are united, working together, using all of our gifts, the more people we have involved, the more people we have serving, the more we can accomplish. The more people we have involved, the, the better we can accomplish it. We can just do more and we can do it better with each person using their gifts and using their skills, using their insight, their anointing, their understanding. The Bible says every person has a gift. You have a gift. You are a gifted man, a gifted woman. You're special. You're created to, to, to play a role in the body of Christ. It says we've each been given gifts, not so we can feel gifted, but to serve, to serve the body, to serve the church, to serve others. So if you have the gift of singing or whatever your talent is, you know, it's not just about developing your skill and becoming the greatest singer or the greatest entrepreneur, whatever it happens to be. Those are just tools to be used to advance the kingdom of God and to build the body of Christ. It's just a gifting, not for the sake of the gifting, but how you can use it to carry out God's desires and to make the name of Jesus great. And when we work together, we can make more impact, to lift high the name of Jesus and see all men drawn to him. The reason people don't follow Jesus, typically it's one of two reasons. One, they don't know about him. Or what they do know about him, they don't want anything to do with him. Either way, the church plays a role in solving that problem. We're supposed to work together to represent God in a way that wouldn't turn people off from him. How does our community see God through the lens of Center Branch Church, through you and I, the way we function? What kind of impact? How does the lost think of God? How, does the lo how do the lost in our community think of the church? They think that we're a bunch of judgmental, selfish, proud, religious people? I'm not saying they do. I'm just throwing out the question. Or do, do they know that we love them unconditionally? Do they, do they think of us as generous, kind, sacrificial people, that we are for them, that we are for our community, that we want, we want to be a blessing to them? Again, I don't know, but that's what we need to work for. That when they think of God through the lens of the church, they think of unconditional love, someone that cares about them and is not looking to point out flaws and tell them how, how filthy they are, but to bring them close and to see them move forward and become all that God designed them to be, to portray the unconditional love of God to be. That doesn't mean we accept everything they do and every behavior, but we love them and we want to see them do well. Amen. So we want to have a church that is excellent, has great services, great facilities, great kids ministry, great youth ministry, all of that. We want to have just a fantastic, excellent church to honor the Lord, first and foremost, a place for the people of God to enjoy and be built up, but it can't just be about us. It's not just for you and I. We've also got to do it in a way that advances the kingdom of God. That as a church, we function in a way that we want to see the lost come to know Jesus. We want to see people connected with the newness of life found only in Jesus Christ. That we're not ingrown and selfish. So let me give a few ways that we can work together to make sure that that's accomplished. Number one, find a place to serve. Very simple. Find a place to serve. If you're not serving, we want to help you find a place where you can serve. We've got a strategy. We want to see people live, grow, and serve. We want to see people come to new life in Jesus, celebrate that newness of life. We want to see them grow in relationship with God and with others. But we want to get them to that point of maturity where it gets beyond themselves, where they're discovering their gifts and they're using them to advance the kingdom of God. So if, if you've gone through growth track and you're not serving, if you want to help us do what God's called us to do and work towards it, helping us build an excellent church, use your gifts, find a place to serve. If you've not gone through growth track, two weeks from today, upstairs at 11 o'clock, we'll take you through growth track, give you an opportunity to jump on a team and start using your gifts. Help us. And when you serve, do it with excellence. Do it as unto the Lord. You're, you're not serving me. You're not serving the elders. You're not serving who's over, whoever's over that department. You're doing it ultimately to the Lord himself, that we are, we are servants serving him. So do it as unto the Lord. Do it with excellence. Do it with a good attitude. Be faithful. Be consistent. Be reliable. Don't just not show up. It, 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 
it hurts us as a church. You've got five people signed up for the nursery on the schedule and none of them show up. It, it creates a problem. What, do you all work on the nursery team? And puts their heads down in shame? I'm just, I'm just throwing out examples. I don't have anybody in mind. You can see the problem that would create, right? So we want to find a place to serve and do it with excellence. And when you're on a schedule, you're an usher, you're, you're on the worship team, whatever it happens to be, you want to serve with excellence, but understand that you're not just a servant when you are on, on the list. Always come to church with an attitude. And again, we're talking about maturity, that you're here not just to receive. I'm not just here to consume. I want to contribute. How can I serve? How can I help set an atmosphere that is conducive for the moving of the Holy Spirit. I've said it lots of times. We want to have the most loving environment that anyone could possibly be in on a Sunday morning. And every one of us helps to contribute or hurts that environment that we want to establish. You play a more significant role than you understand. The, the example, I've, I've used it a lot before, but it's, it's true. If somebody comes to church, it doesn't matter if I, if I preach the most amazing message that you've ever heard, which is typically the case, right? <laughs> so if I preach the most out, my, my illustrations are amazing. It, it's just, man, I'm, I'm just right on. It's awesome. But that person's experience was in the parking lot, in the lobby. People are rude. People are uncaring. No one's interacted with them. It feels like people are angry at me just for, for being here. It doesn't matter how good the message is or how good the worship is. That person will probably never return because, because of the environment that we're all working. And you can, flip that, you can flip that around. If I preach a dud of a message, don't say anything about that one. If I preach just an absolute, just it's just terrible, it doesn't even make any sense. What is he talking about? But from the per time that person pulled onto the, the property, they felt the love of God from every person they encountered. Everyone was so well. It feels like these people really care about me. I matter to them. It doesn't matter how bad the message is. You're going to have a hard time keeping that person out of here. So all of us now, ideally, we don't have to pick one or the other, right? We can be firing on all cylinders and have great services and message and worship and an environment where we're all functioning in the love of God. And all of us contribute the way that you engage or disengage in worship. You're, you're, you're serving. Just leaning on the seat in front of you, talking to somebody while we're Pastor Jonathan, the band, trying to lead us into the presence of God. You, you can be a worship leader right where you are. Serve, man, engage, just go for it. You create an environment where someone's not gonna worship the Lord, they're gonna be an odd man. Just, I'll just go along with everybody else. Create that environment. The way you engage is the word is coming forth. Just scrolling through Facebook or you got your notebook and your pen, you're, you're engaged. You create an atmosphere a culture that if somebody wants to fit in, I need to begin to behave like this. It's an effective way to teach and disciple, to create an environment where most of the people are acting in a mature nature. You're creating a flow, a momentum that people just get caught up in that. Before they know it, man, there's several steps in their walk with the Lord and maturing just because they're just following what everyone else is doing. Every one of us contributes. So come with the heart of a servant. Come with the heart of a servant. Number two, if you want to help us be the body of Christ and make impact, the number one priority for us as a church. Second thing you can do, help us live out our value that we go. We care about the lost. We go. Jesus left the 99 to go after the one. We will too. It's one of our values. That as we're serving, as we're here, that we want to lean towards the person who's a guest, the person who doesn't know the Lord. The natural tendency is for us to drift inward, that we've got to be intentional. It's not just me huddling up with my friends that I haven't seen all week. It's people here that don't know the Lord, and I need to host them and serve them, that everything we put our hand to, we're doing it with a sensitivity towards the one that doesn't know the Lord. Jesus left the 99 and went after the one. The tendency of the church is to get consumed with the needs and desires of the 99 and forget about the one. That if we want to to advance the kingdom of God, we've got to be one focused, one centered, sensitive to the one. We've talked to before about every person having a, a one that you're going after. One person you've got, of course, we want to reach everyone, but who are you focused on? Who's, who's your target on? Who's the person at work? You heard in that testimony, Shane, I, Shane had his target on that man, going after him, preparing, making dinner arrangements, all, all with the goal uh, of bringing that person into the kingdom of God. Who are you strategizing? Who is your one? And then be sensitive. There's, there's ones here this morning. Maybe, maybe somebody has finally got their one here and you can either help minister to them by the atmosphere we create 
or give them a, a rude look, cut in front of them at the line for the drinking fountain or whatever it is, just shut down somebody's heart. We're all, we're all ministering here together, ideally. So have a heart for the one. We're concerned about the lost. We're not about the 99. We're about the one. We want to see people come to know Jesus. The third one is this. Work together. Work together as a church to get the unchurched here. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 14. Work together to get the unchurched here. I want to read from Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 16. Then he said to him, this is Jesus speaking, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servant at supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a piece of ground and I must go and see it. I ask you to have me excused. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask you to have me excused. Still another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Every time that verse is funny to me. <laughs> I, I, I'm married, you understand. Verse 21, so that servant came and reported all these things to his master. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it's done as you commanded. And still there is room. Then the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled, that my house may be filled. So Jesus tells this story, a story about a guy, a master, throwing a banquet, having a big meal, and he sends out an invitation. Hey, the meal's ready. It's It's time to eat. It's time for the banquet. Come on, we're ready for you. Sends his servants out to let people know that. And people start making excuses, which is something we shouldn't gloss over, the excuses people make, because it's interesting, even the categories that Jesus throws out here. First person says, I've got some land and I've got to go see it. It's interesting when people have a, a, a cabin at the lake, a home in the mountains, that they've just got to go see it. Well, Jesus says that this master was not impressed with the excuse. He didn't say, I, I totally get it. Yeah, I understand. You've only got the weekends. I mean, what are you supposed to do? You're not paying for that house in the mountains for nothing. It says that he was angry. He was angry. The one is, you know, I've got this place. I, I, I get away now. Vacation is one thing. I'm talking about just people making excuses. One is, I've got other things to do. Second one is, I, stuff going on at work. I've got these yoke of oxen. I've got, got plowing to do. Excuses with work. Third one said, I've married a wife. I can't come. Stuff going on with my family. I got these family obligations. My kids are in soccer. They got a travel schedule. I got all kinds of stuff going on. The master was not willing to accept any of those excuses. He he wasn't saying, okay, you're off the hook. No, he he was angry about it. He was hurt. I've invited you. Why wouldn't you come? Why would you take it so flippantly? Second thing we can learn is that uh, a casual invitation oftentimes is ineffective. Hey, why don't you come? It doesn't work in this story. Over and over, it doesn't doesn't work. A weak invitation usually garners a weak response. You know, I I heard, I just met somebody recently, and I always like to ask, hey, how'd you end up here? How'd How'd you end up coming to Center Branch? And this person said, well, about two years ago, and told me one of your names, someone that's here, this person started inviting me, and they've been inviting me every week for two years. So finally, I decided I'm going to come. That's not a weak invitation. That's persistence. That's diligence. That's intentionality. I'm not giving up. I'm going to keep on. I'm going to wear you down. Just how some of us got our wives. So why not apply the the same kind of strategy to bringing people into the kingdom of God? They've been inviting me every week for two years. So a, a week a weak invitation gets weak responses. So we, we've got to do better than that. Well, I asked that guy at work, he said no. Listen, it, it didn't work there. Why do you think it worked in your situation? It rarely works. So he says, go out and go out and get the blind, the lame. They said, we are, we've already done that. And then the master realizes the problem. You guys don't understand inviting. You don't understand what I bet. You've gone out and you've failed twice. 
I want my house full, the master says. There's still room. He, there's, there's empty seats here. God, God wants his house filled. He wants it full. That's the desire of God, that his house would be full. He always wants more. He wants no one to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. He wants his house filled. Let's fill this place. We do two services. Let's do three. I'll be thrilled if we get to eight services. Let's just keep on going. Let's sell this building and buy something bigger. Let's, if God lends his house full once, what if we just keep on filling it? That, that's not going to happen unless the people of God get intention and capture the heart of God. God, you like full houses? Then that's exactly what we're going to work to accomplish. So he says, I, listen, you guys don't understand inviting. If I sent you out once, you came back with a list of excuses, sent you out again, there's still room in the house. So he says, go out again and compel, compel them. Now that word in the Greek, it means to compel, obviously. It means to necessitate, to drive, to constrain. It even means to use force. There's effort involved. There's intentionality. Go out and compel. Not just, hey, would you like to come? Work at it. Think it through. Pray it through. Sweeten the deal. What can you do to get them here? Now, there's two components of it. One is things need to be ready. Hey, the dinner's ready. The banquet hall is ready. We're, we're ready to roll. Now go and compel them. So part of the compelling force is having something ready for them to arrive at. We want things to be excellent here. We want to have, we take the word of God seriously, our time and worship seriously, our ministries seriously. We want people serving and doing it with excellence. So that, that is part of the compelling force of having something worth inviting the people to. But the second part is sending out servants, sending out me and you when we leave here to compel people to compel people. You've, no, no, you don't understand. You've got to come. Now, there's different times where we can, we can leverage as a church. We do giveaways, or special events, start new series, holidays, Easter, it's coming up, Christmas, those kinds of things. We want to leverage them. But on our own, just as believers, as, as servants of the master, to find ways to leverage. What will it take to get that person at work to come with you to church? You, you asked them once, they weren't interested. Don't give up. Compel them. What, what do you need to do to sweeten the deal? Listen, I'll take you out to dinner. I'll pick you up, take you out to breakfast and lunch. What, what do I need to do? Think, think it through. Whatever it takes to get that person, or if it's just resistant, don't cast your pearls before swine, find somebody else and be persistent with them, but be persistent with somebody. Compel somebody to get into the house of God. Get them into this environment. Again, in that testimony, invite somebody into an atmosphere. You know, there's people that have never been to church. They've never been in an environment where they could sense the presence of God, where they could look around and see men and women just singing of their love for Jesus. They've never heard the word proclaimed. They've never been in that kind of environment. This is a unique environment to invite people it's unlike any other environment on the face of the earth. And we need to leverage that strategically to get people in this environment where the Spirit of God can soften their heart and bring them to a point after they've been loved on their whole way through. It's the love of God all the way. Everything we do, the love of God. Get to that point. We'll get to here in just a moment. If you've never made a decision, if you don't know Jesus, bring them to that point to leverage it. What will it, what will it take? How can you be shrewd? How can you be, how can you be intentional about bringing people? Some people might get turned off. It sounds like you're baiting people. Ah, it doesn't sound right. I'm trying to like bait them with dinner or anything. That's the analogy Jesus used. He said, I'm going, I'm going to make you into fishers of men. So, so baiting people is what Jesus had in mind because he, he cared more about people making heaven than them getting offended or finding out the only reason you wanted to take me to Outback was so that you could tell me your testimony. Do you think Adam's complaining about that invitation to, to go eat at Outback? And oh, that's all you want to do is share. His life is forever changed. Compel compel. Use some force. Act like you care. Carry the heart of the Father. Now, we can have the best facility, the best worship ministry, which I believe we have. We can have the best kids ministry, which I believe we have. The best youth ministry, which we have. All of those things. We want to strive for excellence. But if it's not anointed, if it's, not, if it's not the Spirit of God flowing through those things, then it's just flesh. It's just us. We need the Holy Spirit 
filling us and flowing through us and anointing everything we do because we want people to be born again, but we don't want them born again of the flesh. That's already been, that's already been done. We want them born of the spirit. And Jesus said in John chapter three, flesh gives birth to flesh. That's all this can produce, but spirit gives birth to spirit. We need the anointing of the Holy Spirit anointing everything we do. And I want to take a few minutes to pray along those lines. And I know that this hasn't been a, a classic message on baptism in the Holy Spirit. But you know what? In some ways it has. Because Jesus told his disciples before he sent them out to carry out the Great Commission. So he stirred a desire for them to go and tell people about Jesus. Hey, before you guys go, hand trained by Jesus Christ himself, personally mentored by Jesus, good hearted men, even they say, hey, first, wait for the promise of the Father. You'll receive power to be witnesses, to be baptized with, with the Holy Spirit. The baptism of, of the Holy Spirit. If I want to be fruitful, Jesus said, he's the vine, I'm the branch. Apart from him, I can't do anything. All of my good intentions, the excellence, it's just us making, making motions in the flesh. Unless the Lord builds the house, we're just laboring in vain. I want to serve God faithfully, but unless it's his spirit operating in me and in you, then we're just churning up the waters for our own glory instead of glorifying him and seeing real life change happen. So if I want to bear fruit, the, the, I need the life that's in the vine flowing through me as a branch. And if I have that, Jesus said, you will bear fruit. Whatever's flowing in the life of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, I needed to fill me and flow through me because apart from him, I can't do anything. It's all, it's all vanity. It's all just flesh. So when we stir up a desire, God, I, I want to see the lost come to know you. So we've been talking about this for three weeks, talking about today. If you feel that desire, God, I want to be used by you. I want testimonies like that. I want to see a family changed because I was faithful. I want to see the lost come to know you. I want to get to heaven and know that I brought people with me. If you have that desire, man, you're setting yourself up for the spirit of God to fill you. Acts chapter four, as they spent time praying, God, give us boldness. We want to reach people. We want to reach our community. You hear the threats. You know what's going on in our climate and our culture. You know very well what people need. God, we want to be used. Give us boldness. They weren't even asking to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But with that kind of heart, that kind of attitude, it says that that place was shaken by the Spirit of God, that he filled them. He refilled them fresh with the Holy Spirit because they had a desire to be used, a desire to win the lost. Well, that's this week's message. Thanks for joining us. To stay connected with us throughout the week, make sure you follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can also watch previous week's services on our YouTube page.